Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. An eternal and a human, a spy, a Greek god, a synthesoid, and a guy with a sword. Avengers assemble? Or should I say gather? Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young, and this week we are doing an Avengers episode with probably a team that is least likely to be in people's minds when they think of the Avengers. And because of that, I thought it'd be fun to bring in, I guess, our resident Avengers fan, who's, let's just put it this way, resident Avengers fan who's a fan of the good Avengers stories, Adam Sikora. Welcome back to the program. Hello again, Andrew, and thanks, I think, for having me for this episode. Because with the storyline we're about to talk about, there came a day unlike any other when the original run of the Avengers kind of lost its way. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing we're looking at today, right? Today we're actually looking at a story that it even has a conflicting name. To some, it's the Gatherer's Saga. To others, it's the Gathering. But to most, it's a highly forgettable story. (laughs) What are we talking about again? We are, yeah, exactly, exactly. We are talking about the Gatherer Saga, which kind of came about, there's a period in Avengers, a very long period, where kind of stories dropped off. Of course, in the late 80s, you had the Roger Stern run. Everybody remembers it. People really enjoyed it because of the depth of uh, character interactions and stuff, Like, t- and taking a number of characters that might not be considered all that great and giving them you know, more oomph, more spotlight, you know, Dr. Druid and Captain Marvel and things like that. Namor finally joined the Avengers long before his little stint with the X-Men a few years ago. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, it's a very memorable run. So when he left, it left a very big hole in Avengers that a number of writers tried to fill, but just were unsuccessful. John Byrne did a short run, didn't do that great. Larry Hama did a short run, didn't do that great. And then in the summer of 91, they brought Bob Harris on. Bob Harris, the editor of the X-Men books at the time. And when he first came in, his first story really didn't catch fire. But I guess there was something about him that the Avengers editors were like, yeah, let's, you know, let's bring Bob back because a few stories later, he was back again and was now the permanent writer for the Avengers. And... A lot of people look back at this time and go, okay, so this is when Bob Harris tried to make the Avengers the X-Men with a lot of the look and feel of the fact that they were, you know, now wearing matching brown leather jackets, very akin to rogues leather jacket from the X-Men. And they were a bit more harder edged. I guess it was more of a 90s thing to be kind of be more extreme. And so Black Knight was suddenly... When you look at his stuff in the Roger Stern run, where he's kind of like just a regular dude who has a crush on the Wasp, now he's like this kind of bad boy himbo, you know? With the full face of unshaved stubble, which means bad boy. As was the style of the time, yes. Adam, I, like we talked a little bit about this before we came on the air, but this, was, uh, this Avengers run happened during the time that you were not reading Avengers, correct? Right. So full disclosure, uh, anyone who's heard any of these episodes 
focusing on Avengers storylines with Andrew before. I'm a lifelong fan of this team, way way before the MCU. Uh, proud owner of a uh, difficult to assemble, but I made it happen. Uh, original set, of 402 issues of the first run of Avengers, starting from 1963, and which would end... Uh, in the late 90s, before being uh, resurrected with another classic run by uh, Kurt Busiek and uh, mainstay George Perez. But, so you uh, assembled the Avengers, is what you're saying. I, I went there, yes. <laughs> um, but um, full, full disclosure for me, uh, in my university years, I actually stepped away from comics for a few minutes. Uh, the angry young man finding his way in the world in the 20s devoting time to other hobbies and uh, ill pursuits and with funds maybe uh, a little more strapped, finding out what my first few real jobs would be. Uh, yeah, took a break from comics, and, and this gathering saga happens to fall in that, in the late, uh, mid to uh, late 300s of that first Avengers run. Right, yeah, and so... Uh, that would have been the early 90s, January 1992. This story we're going to talk about, The Gatherer Saga, kicks off. It does not wrap up until June 1994. And you think, wow, that's a really long story. It's like, well, no, because this saga has huge breaks in between. Because Editorial has their plans, and Bob Harris had his and editorial was like, you have to do this Operation Galactic Storm storyline uh, that involves the Avengers and the Kree. And then we have an X-Men Avengers anniversary crossover that's going to happen. So you've got to work that in. And there was a couple of other stops along the way. And so because of that, the story goes that he does like a plot of like, here's the Gatherer Saga, then we're going to give you kind of a a climax to it without really an ending. Then we're going to continue on. Then we're going to come back to it, give you a deeper story about what's happening with one of the characters, come to the climax of that, then stop again for a few more issues, and then come back to it again to finally wrap it up. So really... If there had been no breaks in between, it probably would have been, it still would have been a long one. It would have been probably about a year and a little bit. But because of this, it spans out over two years. And that's a long time to find out the ending of this story. Yeah, it's, it's so drawn out that uh, certain questions that are presented over the course of this are kind of answered, but, but maybe not necessarily fully or satisfactorily. And going to something you touched on a second ago about s some visual things the uh, Avengers had picked up. It's this, if, if, what, what this lacks in explanations for its own storyline uh, actually explains the state of the comics industry in, in the early 90s. So we've got a certain look that's, that's being influenced by a lot of the big guns who went off to uh, Image started their own uh, imprints and characters, uh, but they all had a certain street look, or that's what they wa were, were trying to convey. And usually the easiest way with that is uh, leather jackets, uh, regardless of 
how uh, feasible that is, say, for someone who's fights with a sword and swings it around. Yeah, uh, wait, wait, like with, with chain mail yeah, underneath. Exactly. Leather jackets on top of their already cumbersome superhero outfits, yeah. Black Widow, who's, you know, a very acrobatic fighting style, uh, usually wearing something spandexy and form-fitting. Let's, let's throw a leather jacket on top of that yeah. if, if you're going to be flipping around rooftops. But... Going back to an editorial side of things, these interruptions Andrew mentioned, this, this is the ugly legacy of something that started off as interesting when the big two, their, DC and Marvel, probably their first two big uh, crossover events that happened around the same time in the mid-80s were Secret Wars and Crisis on Infinite Earths. And those had done well enough that editorial from both of those companies were blindly uh, ordering all of their various teams to come up with new annual events. So this, seven or eight years in, people don't even realize it yet, but, but we're all having a little bit of crossover burnout, and, and it's disrupting the normal day-to-day -day business of, of 12 issues a year of the individual titles. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, as I said, a lot of breaks in this, but there's probably some people sitting there going, what is the Gatherer Saga? Because there's probably a lot of people that just avoid this period in Avengers uh, lore. A group of dimensional displaced Avengers. So Avengers from other timelines, specifically timelines that have been destroyed because of something that happened with the Avengers. And so these are the last survivors and they're coming together under this mysterious man named Proctor who's collecting them together to then take on the Avengers of this timeline to kill them. Because his belief is the Avengers ruin every timeline and this is the prime timeline. So if we destroy them here, we will have won. And that is his, that's, that's at least the story he's telling his gatherers. And so you get a swordsman from one destroyed place. Uh, we get introduced to, I believe it's the coal tiger. Is that yes. the coal tiger, which is basically a T'Challa from a different dimension who, instead of becoming the black Panther becomes the coal tiger. He does not last long in the story. There's Magdalena. There's the mysterious uh, Cassandra. There's a lot of, new characters but then there's a lot of variations of avengers that already exist with the idea is in order for them to stay sane within this timeline they have to kill off their opposite numbers sort of thing and so it's a cool high concept of the idea of like other dimensions avengers coming together to kill the avengers that's kind of exciting but it's kind of like the right idea at the wrong time because you're dealing with this Avengers, which is kind of like the B team. At this point, Captain America is only making guest appearances on the team. Iron Man and a number of other Avengers are uh, starting up their force works over on the west side of the country. The West Coast Avengers is dying down and force works is coming into play. Uh, Thor isn't Thor at this point because at least for half of this story, it's uh, Eric Masterson who he eventually becomes Thunderstrike before the end of this story. But for the most part, there really isn't any like major Avengers, no Hawkeye, stuff like that, with the exception of the Vision. But this is during the period where the Vision is the White Vision. So he doesn't remember half of his life, and 
his engrams were not based on Wonder Man. They were based on somebody else. So he's dealing with that person's history. So you're not getting the real vision that when you think of vision. And then let's get to the core players. So it's like, so if none of the big guns are on this team, who's on it? Well, you got the Black Knight, who I mentioned, who kind of became the star of the show with, as as you mentioned, his uh, very visible stubble showing him as a bad boy. You got his now best buddy, clean-shaven Hercules, who just does not seem like they're really trying to make this bromance happen between these two guys. and They, they just don't come off as booze and buddies. But Dane is kind of busy anyways because he's got two women fawning over him in this story. He's got Crystal, who's estranged from her husband, Quicksilver, who she's trying, apparently, to repair her marriage, but I don't really feel like she is in this story. And you've got Circe, who's a former Eternal, who's joined the team, who when she first joined the team was pretty much just like, here she is, she's one of the Eternals, and they really weren't doing anything with him, and then they just, her, and then they decided to do a story where something's not quite right with her. And that becomes more and more present within the stories. There's possible murders, there's a number of things happening, and her kind of psyche her mental health becomes a major plot point in the later half of the story. Basically, a bunch of people convincing her, you're crazy because that's what happens to Eternals. And that's not really the case here. It's not just because, oh, you've lived a long life, you're going crazy. There's something that is a catalyst to that that is not her fault. And then you have Black Widow. Black Widow is one of my favorite characters. In this entire run... This isn't the Black Widow. This is basically, we have Natasha Romanoff here as the leader of the team to be like the quote-unquote mom, but she's not going to do anything that's remotely like Natasha throughout all of this run. Instead, she's going to be trying to get Hercules dates and sending Black Knight off with the team to do all the fighting while she sits at home and plans, which just doesn't really sit right with me. So it is very much the B team that uh, they're trying to push in this storyline where if a team is trying to go and kill the Avengers, is this really the Avengers? On paper, the concept of what the gatherers are sounds pretty cool. Last surviving members of the Avengers teams for, for, from other dimensions, other realms who are, are being misled by this proctor to believe that messing with and killing the Avengers that we follow will save. Actually, no, I, I, I don't know what actually draws them into things because it's not going to restore their worlds that are destroyed. No, it's, it's more of let's, let's just get retribution, yeah, it's a retribution against the also, source yeah. of what's destroyed. But also Proctor has convinced them that if you want to save all timelines, we've got to do this. So your timelines are dead, but if you want to save others. Problem number one, you'd think, okay, that's cool. We're going to see all these different variations of members of the Avengers, some possible reimaginings, maybe some, some cool different costumes and, and whatever. The only two true nods in my eyes, later on a few other gatherers are introduced to us with, with zero backstory filled in, but they're obviously parallels to people uh, from, from the universe we know. But, but the two that Andrew mentioned were reformed villain, the swordsman, 
who eventually joined the Avengers but then died in a storyline back in the 70s. This is a different swordsman. He, he has a different civilian name. This guy is Philip versus Jacques. Almost the same color scheme on their costumes. And the Cold Tiger that Andrew mentioned, an interesting piece of Marvel history there is, I, I guess there's a, someone there who's a fan of the archives. Uh, this alternate version of the Black Panther actually was one of Jack Kirby's original concepts oh. for the Black Panther. Uh, and if you look at old uh, Kirby collector magazines, uh, you'll see they used the same design, very different from uh, the, the T'Challa in the fully black costume that most of uh, the media following world knows now. It's, it's very almost Saturday morning cartoonish where, where he's got these... Uh, multicolored pants, uh, a lot of yellow in the costume, a huge collar, no mask, and you can see his face. But somebody remembered that and said, hey, let's, let's use that. And they do for a minute before that character is, is, is unceremoniously uh, wiped out. But you'd expect to see more Avengers variations, but two of the other big players in the first introduction of The Gathers we get, Cassandra... And uh, this big bestial creature named Sloth, there's no allusion to them possibly being derived from anyone in our universe. Cassandra kind of looks like a Madam Web, this older woman. We can't really see her eyes because of these glasses she wears. And Sloth is someone who's apparently got the strength. I mean, he dukes it out a little bit with Hercules and new Thor, Eric Masterson, the construction worker who Hercules also tries to bro it up with when uh, the Black Knight's busy with his other biz. But he, we don't know who this big, hairy, sloth guy is. He, he, they, they write his dialogue with a little bit of an accent. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Or if he's just speaking with a partial medieval influence, calling people lads and such. What you'd think would be a strikingly cool visual team isn't. And that already gives you diminishing returns with interest for people picking this up and looking at them. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like you're trying to sell it as alternate Avengers. And with the exception of the swordsman, they don't look like alternate Avengers. They look like totally different characters, totally new characters, as most of them are. And so that is, was its first major misstep. I think the other major misstep was Bob Harris really wanted to bring back the relationship feel that like Roger Stern had with his series of like characters and their personal lives impacting the story. And he decided to also try to take a page from like the X-Men books in the sense that while Bob Harris was the editor of X-Men, he was editor for a long time before eventually becoming editor in chief of all of Marvel. During that time, they played a lot with the, the Gene, Cyclops, Wolverine kind of thing. And he knew the history of those, of course, long before he became an editor on the book and decided he wanted to bring that to this book, but make it go a step further. And so kind of the main crux that like even more important than this gatherers plot is the love triangle between Dane, Circe, and Crystal. Crystal shows up. Crystal and Dane have kind of a thing. They have a vibe. They have a chemistry. But she, of course, is trying to repair her marriage. So Black Knight decides, okay, I'm going to go have sex with Circe. <laughs> That'll make me happy. 
And then shortly after that, that's when Crystal kind of comes to him and is sort of like, yeah, I don't think this thing is working out with my husband. And he's like, oh, shit, I had sex with Cersei already. Damn it. And Cersei's like, hey, you're my boyfriend now, as one would in this situation. And he's like, oh, damn. And the way it's written, Bob Harris writes it, is he's trying to make it like, but Dane and Crystal should be together and Dane's okay. Dane's a cool guy. It's like, no, you're kind of stringing one girl along because you're upset that the other one isn't available. And then when they make the assumption that you guys are together, you keep treating it as in like, oh, you're overstepping. Oh, suddenly you think I'm your guy sort of thing. And of course, it goes a bit far where she basically, in order to save her from her fellow Eternals, he's kind of coerced into doing a mind meld, not knowing what it is. And he's pissed her at that. But she still has every right to be pissed at him for stringing her along here. And it's not until this uh, this kind of unwilling bonding with uh, Cersei takes place that, that 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 he finally decides, okay, maybe do over, maybe maybe it's Crystal I want to be with. <laughs> yeah, that's when he suddenly becomes decisive when it's already kind of too late. Yeah. So there you go, another classic '90s throwback. Besides the Wolverine. Uh, Gene and Cyclops business in the comics. Just think of any early 90s melodrama that everyone's following uh, on 90210 or Melrose Place. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's very much 90s. And also the vibe of it trying them trying to be an edgier group, which I still find hilarious. Now, that was the style of the times. Like everybody was trying to become edgier in the comics to the point where Grant Morrison and Animal Man would do a very meta kind of commentary on that on how everybody's going to get edgy and more hardcore and so in this in order to show how edgy the avengers are now captain america is dropped in at points just to be like the well that's not how we do it with the avengers that's not the traditional avengers just so dane can basically say in so many words fuck off <laughs> pretty much well one other bit bit of business with the black widow if we can take something from that era and, and pay it forward to, to modern perceptions of her is at least putting her in a leadership position. That's echoes of the wasp after being a founding member of the Avengers, finally getting her stint as leader during the aforementioned Roger Stern run in the late eighties, seeing the black widow in more of a, a leadership tactician type of role versus a, a ex secret agent, doing more of a vigilante-style way of going about her business, which which we might know better from Daredevil. It's a glimpse of the Widow we kind of might know better from the MCU. Yeah, I can see that. But in this, like, what is one of her big, like, story plot points is Hercules is having trouble figuring out how to talk to a girl. So she sets up an elaborate dinner party so they can hang out. A dinner party that is treated like a fucking ball where they have to sit in a foyer and wait till they're supposed to come in for the dinner party and they are escort each other in. It feels very prom-like. Hercules and, in a tux. Yeah. Vision, this current stripped-down white version of the Vision, ghost version, still <laughs> lacking humanity just goes in his cape and his bare feet. Yeah, yeah. His bare feet, that's the thing also. It's like 
every other version of the vision, he's got some boots on, red boots, green boots, whatever it is. But when he's white vision, doesn't even bother with the boots. So he's essentially kind of half naked with a cape. But because it's all white and blends together and he's an android, you kind of are like, oh, okay, I guess. The goofy dinner party in the middle to me was just like, okay, you're just trying really hard to make these guys feel like a family when really the Avengers aren't a family. They're kind of like mission status superheroes. And even when they have interconnected personal lives and stuff, it's very much more like a workplace than a family, even for those who live at the mansion, you know? The Black Widow even has a little speech at this dinner party going, well, this version of the team's been together for about six months, and uh, I think we're doing all right. Cheers to us. (laughs) Wink, wink to you reading the page. All of these tropes just come out of the woodwork. Uh, Another character that shows up with Crystal that I'm recalling. So Crystal has a daughter with Pietro, Quicksilver, Luna. But while she's going to take up residency at Avengers Mansion, she brings along the Inhumans royal family's resident nanny, Marilla. Troll-like being. Um and plays to a hilt the same joke over and over again. Uh, basically, the busybody who's stepping in Jarvis the butler's territory yeah. in how things are run. And every time she addresses Jarvis, it's different. She can't get his name right. Yeah. She, she's not purposely doing it, but she just can't be bothered to learn to say Jarvis. So and it's Jarvink, Jarvik, every time. And yeah. it's like, Jesus, and... Spoiler alert, uh, a few storylines down, I do believe Marilla is unfortunately killed, but not too many people are sad about it. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder why. My God. It's this very much different team, and they really try to play the this ain't your daddy's Avengers, not even just in this kind of attitude or with the supporting cast, but also with the design look. Now, Steve Epting course i love steve epting his captain america run it's great and here his artwork like his actual line work is pretty good he's being inked and colored by tom palmer here who at the time tom palmer had kind of become like the mainstay inker on avengers the guy who would kind of give like a a through line for the audience visually that it's like oh it kind of still looks like avengers but the amount of character redesigns in this that just feel like, there's no storyline purpose for them. It just feels very much like, oh, we don't want this person in their Eternals outfit anymore. We want them to be an Avenger, so give them a new costume. We don't want this person in their Inhumans outfit anymore. We want them to be an Avenger, so give them a new costume. Like, Cersei gets a new costume, which I actually think works. It's a lot better than the kind of green thing she was wearing before. But then Crystal gets a new outfit. Just to to the white and black thing, I feel specifically just to break her out of her classic look. Black Knight's outfit gets augmented several times throughout the book. Hercules shaves his beard off, but then also just gets rid of his classic look for these big metal shoulder pads that he wears. And then, of course, we mentioned the jackets. Not only is it a weird B-team, but on top of that, most of these characters don't look like they do in any other part of Marvel history. Yeah, um, so that is, that is your core trio of creators with this, Harris writing, Epting, penciling, and Palmer inking. And Palmer also was kind of, uh, well, he's, 
I, I believe he passed away a few years ago as well, mm-hmm. but, but he goes back to classic 60s Marvel, well known for his inks with, with the esteemed Neil Adams. That Roger Stern run, a lot of that was penciled by uh, John Buscema, uh, also inked by, by Palmer. Mm-hmm. And then this with Epting. I, I, too, am a fan of Epting's later work with Captain America and some pivotal storylines. With this, I mean, there's a couple of uh, stops by, by some guest artists doing fill-ins, which also hurts the consistency. But Palmer on Epting's inks, there's something loose to it. I mean, if you show me those pages, I'll go. Those are pages from Avengers, but it doesn't really do anything for me. Or I wouldn't classify it as memorable or classic. It's just just serviceable for its time and for the Mm storyline. Yeah, I feel like with the story and the art... In a sense, it is kind of a throwback in the sense that when before Marvel was Marvel, when it was Timely Comics and then with Atlas, Goodman, who owned the company, was had an edict to stand that whatever's popular, put out comics about it. So it's like if Westerns became popular, he'd be like, put out eight Western comics right away. If romance was the thing, he's like, put out eight romance comics. If war was the thing, put out eight war comics. In this sense, Bob Harris is delivering an Avengers that feels so generic in the sense that he's trying to just give what other comics are giving at this time. The launch of Image, the X-Men books, and because of that, he strips away what makes the Avengers the Avengers and almost makes them feel like a generic brand of one of these other comics. Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree with with everything we've touched on so far. It's like, give the people what they want, even if they don't know that's what they want. Because uh, according to some sales that we, we, we spied somewhere else, this is what you got to do to get that quality storytelling or sticking to the heart of the source material takes a back seat. Yeah, and the saddest part about this is while it's not a great story and it takes a long time to get through... It is probably the most coherent Avengers story of the early 90s. Because after this, they would bring back a more classic Avengers team. But none of them would... It would be the continuation of this, everybody looking different. Like, after this run, Cap comes back to the team, but he's gone through major health problems. So he has to wear, like, this kind of, like, brown harness over his suit to keep them together. Iron Man comes back turns evil and they have to go back into the past and get an 18 year old version of him to come back and stop him. So now you've got teen Iron Man. Thor basically has been stripped of his godhood. And so now he's just a dude who walks around shirtless with a hammer. The wasp almost dies and has to be put into the body of a half woman, half wasp. Uh, I believe it's an alien race that without the blueprints of how a human should be put back together based on her powers and such there you go now she's kind of this human insect hybrid woman yeah so it's like they took the idea of the let's change everybody from this run and brought back kind of the core avengers team and did that to them as well so this is kind of the kickoff of let's really fuck with the avengers well but by the end of this particular storyline quicksilver is hanging out with the team again for a bit henry pym goes back to his original giant giant man identity 
another one of the gatherers that actually has a recognizable template. Proctor recruits a vision from another dimension who is, is a bit more human and forthcoming with his emotions. And in this case, this guy's an over-sexualized prick. Yeah, this guy... Because it's, this guy it's, it's, it's implied. Much. It's implied he's basically a rapist from yeah, another dimension. Yeah, to rape Crystal, yeah. Yeah, but because of a, a subplot where he's getting this vision to spy on the Avengers, White Vision is captured and kidnapped, and their bodies are switched. So once all of this is resolved, our vision, the vision we know, is in return to a classic yeah, more traditional. red, green, and yellow that we know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there is a, a, a reprieve of, like, some more recognizable Avengers at the end of this story. But after Bob Harris left the book, someone else would come on and, I guess, take cues from him going, hey, he did this with all these characters. Let's do it with more popular characters and fuck with them. So this is kind of like the precursor. Like, it's like it's not a great Avengers story. It's not terrible. It's just not very good. It's just not the sum of all its parts because of how those parts were laid out. Especially if you read this sequentially as a subscriber or a regular comic shop goer with all of those gaps, at least you and I revisiting this storyline have the benefit of seeing it yeah. as a whole. But unfortunately, it makes certain gaps or inconsistencies even more glaring or dissatisfying. Exactly, yeah. So... I wouldn't say to go out of your way to read The Gatherer's Saga. Like I was saying to Adam, one of the major reasons why I read The Gatherer's Saga is that I found a collected edition of it at a store for $10. And was like, hey, why not? Sort of thing. And I'm actually happy that I did read it because I always wondered how bad it was. And to find out it actually wasn't terrible. It just wasn't Avengers. That's... Like if this was a bunch of like new characters, it would be like a slightly more intriguing story, you know? That's the Yelp review everyone dreams of. Not <laughs> terrible. It's not terrible, folks. We don't want to spoil it for, for anyone who wants to touch on this. And we're also open to hearing anybody who has a radically different take on this uh, and is maybe seeing uh, bits of value and worth that we're totally missing here. The last round with the gatherers also introduces a handful of more throwaway members yeah. of that team. It's not really explained where they come from. It's just, okay, you're so-and-so, you're a gatherer. And a lot of them look like interdimensional monsters. One of them is a Rick Jones. I didn't even catch that while originally reading it, who that was supposed to be. But uh, his look kind of looks like a preview of a Winter Soldier years yeah, later, yeah. Steve Epting, a guy who carries weapons and has a kind of a half mask over his face. And a little nod to another Avenger that sadly has always kind of been mishandled and never gotten her full moment in the sun, a second artificial member of the Avengers, Jocasta, a version of that is in the mix as well. But... Uh, don't worry about getting too invested in any of these people because there's nothing to know about them and they're going to be gone as quick as they arrive. It's a major influx of characters. There's so many characters that pop up in this that are kind of inconsequential that at one point they have it that Black Widow has the vision, take a group of them on a trip 
to check a satellite so they could get out of the story and never come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three of them. Oh, and then also just going with names from the early 90s as a little bit of a hangover from Galactic Storm, Lalandra the Empress sends an emissary who will also join the Avengers, a member of the Shi'ar race who goes by the name of Death Cry, yeah, Death Cry. a typical early 90s name. But then when they uh, kind of want to backtrack on that, she becomes known as Life Cry. <laughs> Which, that just sounds so, oh, rolls off the tongue. Um, I guess maybe that's a sweet name for what life. happens when a baby is delivered. Exactly, yeah. Life Cry would be like when a baby first cries, yeah. But otherwise, yeah. So, yeah, another oddball Avenger that they're going to try and figure out something worthwhile for her to do and fit in with in her ill-advised entry into the membership as it, as it becomes more of a revolving door versus the classic teams we know of the past where you think of six to eight people on deck at a given time and they're all pretty prominent in the marvel universe yeah. versus b and now even c listers getting a membership card I think the clerk at the, their 7-Eleven on the corner had an honorary Avengers ID card, too. It's just a, a stark reminder that uh, aside from the beginning of Jim Lee's X-Men, there really isn't a lot of great stuff happening at Marvel in the early 90s. It's just uh, it's a shame. And they almost went bankrupt. People forget this business. Oh, yeah? yeah, 1998, they declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah, But that wasn't because of comic sales. That was because they uh, decided to invest in junk bonds. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. But that's a story for another time, kids. Uh, but for now, um, I think we're going to bid you adieu. Adam, where can people find you? Uh, as usual, if we, if we go to uh, AdamScore71 on Twitter, and like I said earlier, if you saw something else in the gatherers we didn't, I'd, I'd love to be enlightened. Yeah, exactly, definitely. And of course, you can find everything I do over at geekcardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at Geekard. Follow me on Instagram at Andrew underscore of underscore geek underscore hard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Backish Bloodbath where we post the new episode every week. But to make sure you don't miss an episode, the best way to make sure that that happens is if you subscribe to us in your podcasting platform of choice. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. And, you know, after that, maybe take a walk. Gather your thoughts, so to speak. And, uh... You know, tell your friends about Back Is Your Bloodbath. This has been Back Is Your Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I was Adam Sakura. Happy, Happy New Year and see you soon. And have yourself a good. <laughs>